today we're talking about the kingdom uh, of Israel, and it's called Long Story Short, the series is, because we are looking at the entire Bible from cover to cover in about 12 weeks. And so it's a long story, and we're trying to give you all the highlights and details. If you haven't been able to keep up, all these messages are online. I highly recommend, if you want to understand how the Bible works, why it's important from cover to cover, I promise you this series is going to explain so much from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And uh, so jump in. They're, they're all online. I want to say hi to everyone in the South Auditorium. God bless you guys. We're so glad that you are here. Let's look a little bit at this thing called the kingdom. When we started this series, now six or seven weeks ago, we started with creation. And God, it was sort of like boom. God creates the heavens and the earth and all of a sudden there's light and darkness and water and sky and critters. Critters. You ever been in the south? The bugs. What was God thinking? What was God thinking? But every, everything created. Then you look at the promise. When God says, you are my people, I will be your God. Then we looked at this thing called the Exodus. The second book in the Bible when Israel came out of Egypt and the bondage because God wants us to live free. I like the idea that it took one day for God to get the Israelites out of Egypt. But it took 40 years to get the Egypt out of the Israelites. Sometimes we live in the past. Sometimes our mistakes suck us back to failure and depression and shame. And I don't want that to happen to you. Our God doesn't want that to happen to you. Then there's this thing called the covenant. And we have the Ten Commandments, and we have these wonderful things that God says, let's live like this. And then we have the conquest. Last week, Pastor Darren just did a great job. What happens at Gilgal, the shame and not living with shame. One of my favorite parts of his message was when he talked about what he called Boomerang McDonald's. Anybody remember that? And they ended up going the wrong way on the highway. Only Darren Fred, my friends. I love that, brother. Today we're looking at the kingdom. We're going to highlight four kings that basically were kings over Israel before it divided into the northern and the southern um, areas, kingdoms. So there are four people that you're going to hear about today. All, If you flip your, your notes, your program over to the backside, you'll see that we've listed Saul and David and Solomon and Rehoboam. We're going to look at all of them and we're going to try to say, what can we learn from these leaders in life. So just for the timeline, those of you that are really, I have so much email about people loving, learning the where we are in Scripture. We've had the whole Genesis, everything, we're, we're about right here on the story. And there's about 400 years now where the judges are kind of in control after the Ten Commandments and all that. And so, so now, basically, we have the judges which are like Gideon, Samson, Deborah, and Samuel ends up being the last judge and prophet in Israel when something unique happened for the first time. And it was this. Israel started asking, could we have a king? And that was sort of new because God really didn't plan for this to be the kind of kingdom that had a king because this was going to be a theocracy. This was going to be God as our leader but they started asking for a king. So I'm, I'm going to just throw a question out there. This is about 1,050 years before Christ. Okay, so we're, we're here. We're going to take it to here today. Well, 
Why is it that the Israelites wanted a physical leader when they had God? I don't know the answer, but if you think of one, email me. (laughs) If you have God, you would think it would be enough. But I, I think when you look at the history here, all the kingdoms around them had kings. And I think they started to see that and they started to recognize, well, we sort of want to be like everyone else. Beware of that. Because depending on the culture you live in, being like everyone else may not be a good idea. Right? So we have to pay attention to where we are in the culture we live in. So we're going to learn from Israel's four kings. In your notes, that's what it says. Let's go. Number one, Israel longs for their own king. That's the first thing we need to just talk about for just uh, literally a couple minutes. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, God finally says, okay, uh, Saul is a good guy, good heart, I'll let him be king. So here's what it says in verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil, he poured it over Saul's head, he kissed Saul and said, I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. Now, when they decided they wanted a king, I think this kind of was surprising, and yet it was normal because other people had kings. And sometimes our reliance on others becomes greater than our reliance on God. That's not a good thing. It's just one of the takeaways that we have from the teaching today. Number two in your outline, what can we learn from Saul? There's three main things that I want to throw out there for you to consider. There are many more than this, but please understand we're packing today alone, we're packing about, you know, I don't know, 120 some years in a weekend. (laughs) Okay? So, number one, he started strong. He started strong. Saul was a great leader. He was the king for 40 years, if you're interested in that kind of thing. He was the first appointed king over Israel. And he sought God's favor. Matter of fact, the first battle that they came to, he was paranoid. He was like, oh, I want to get this right, and we can't win without God's favor. So God had given them the exact instructions. If you want to win the battle, call for the priest. Samuel comes in. They offer sacrifices. Why? Because it's obedience that win battles. Don't forget that. That's very important as we go through this. It's obedience that wins battles. And Saul, bless his heart, wanted to get it right. So he's meticulous about everything. Yes, Samuel, are we all good? Before we go to battle, before we get in harm's way, I want to make sure we've done what God asked us to do. It's kind of like your first date. Like, do you guys remember, like the person you're with today, if you're here as a couple, how many of you can remember your first date? Okay, you better raise your hand. That's just a hint. Okay. You really care about that first date. You know, if you like that person. I remember when Bonnie, who is now my wife, when, when I started to kind of really get my eye on her in high school, I, I was pretty shy. Okay, this is just the truth. It's a little embarrassing, but I was very shy. And so I was downstairs. I have four sisters, and the one just younger than me is named Tammy. She said, you've got to call Bonnie. And this is before cell service, obviously. And so she picks up our house phone, and I had her number on a piece of paper. And she dials Bonnie's number. And hands me the phone. True story. And, and I, I was like, oh, oh, oh. So, 
So her mom, Beverly, answers him, and I say, is Bonnie there? And she, she was so nice. She said, yeah, she is. Hang on just a second, and I'll get her. And I remember this moment. I looked at the phone, and I looked at Tammy, and I hung up the phone. <laughs> I was like, I said, I looked at Tammy, and I said, we know she's home. <laughs> this is good. We're off to a good start here. She's home. So Tammy's like, what are you doing? So she picks up the phone, dials the number again, and I'm like, Sorry, I don't know what happened there. Uh, is it Bonnie there? So anyway, but our first date, I had it all planned. I mean, you, you care, and you wash your car, and you get it all ready. And I had my cassette tape set on the perfect song when we got in, and the meal was planned. It's the right cologne. It's the right, it's, everything is right. You know, by, by year 12 or 13 of your marriage, it's like, hey, it's our anniversary. Should we cook some burgers? By year 27, it's like, my phone just said it's our anniversary. <laughs> no, please don't be that person. Saul started out well. Number two, he was destroyed by disobedience. He just could not keep on that pace. Man, I wish he had. He had the Bible says he was a man of stature. He was head and shoulders above everyone else. People wanted to follow him. He, he was charismatic. But... A few battles later, he goes into battle and he doesn't obey and he gets impatient because Samuel doesn't show up to do the sacrifice before they go into battle. Here's how it happened. 1 Samuel 13, verse 7. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel. How many of you would say that's long enough? Okay, that's a long wait. As Samuel had instructed him to do earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, bring me the burnt offerings and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself, which he was never supposed to do. He wasn't the priest. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet him and welcomed him. But Samuel said, what is this that you have done? That was the beginning of the end for Saul. He was trying. His motivation was right. His goal was good. He wanted God's blessing, but he just got impatient. Has impatience ever cost you something? <laughs> That's a funny question, isn't it? Yeah, why? Because it's cost all of us something. Here's what I want you to know. These sacrifices before battle were not about the ritual or the animals. They were about the obedience. Saul forgot that. Saul sort of had his mindset that, oh, let's do the religious thing. Oh, yeah, get the lamb, come on. Let's, let's sacrifice to do this. Okay, now, now we're good going into battle. No, because you didn't obey God. And, and, and that's very important for us. Can I, just, can I just say, okay, well, you know, I went to church four times this month. I've helped someone. I paid my tithe. I've, I've helped two people out this month. I gave a bottle of water to a homeless guy, and I'm good. And God's going to say, well, are you obeying my voice? All those things matter, and they're good, and works do matter. The Bible says they matter. But that's not what keeps the relationship with God healthy. What does is obedience to God. It's, it's, the, it's classic rich young ruler in the New Testament. Remember this guy comes up to Jesus, all proud, I've kept all the commandments. I've done all this since I was a little guy. And Jesus agrees with him. He's like, yeah, man, good job. You have. 
So just go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come on back. Let's talk. And he's like, what? And the Bible says that he leaves with sorrow. Why? Because the obedience factor was tougher than the do-good factor. And if we remember that, we'll, we'll make it. Number three, he lost the presence of God. Saul did. Saul became a madman. I mean, I don't have time to develop all this, but this guy became a, a, just a, a psychopath. Honestly, he did. And there are a lot of reasons for that. But in 1 Samuel verse 15, if you're just taking notes and you want to write these references down, you can read these whole stories later. I'm just touching them. Verse 22, it says, But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord? And this is that passage that many people have now, this little phrase on the refrigerator, when he says, What's more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, here it is. Obedience, say it with me, is better than sacrifice. This is where all that came from because Saul got ahead of God. He goes on to say, that submission is better than the offering of the fatter rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. Stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Ugh. Harsh. This is a very harsh judgment. God rarely calls us to fix stuff. You know, I had someone the other day, man, is there anything we can do to fix this world crisis that we're in? All these threats, and I said, nope. Hopefully, we can pray. We can believe God. We can do our part. But they said, well, I think the whole world's going to blow up. I think it's almost to the end, and it's going to be over. And I said, awesome. <laughs> I'm so ready. I am so ready for that. It would not bother me a bit. And then I said, but what if that doesn't happen and we stay on the earth? And he, he said, well, that's what I hope happens. And I said, me too. Wouldn't that be great? Either way, we're not called to be the fixer of the world. We're called to obey God and know the voice of God and obey the voice of God. Saul actually begs Samuel to give him another chance. Begs him. You can read the whole thing. Oh, please, Samuel, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do better. I can't handle this. And he's rejected and he knows it. And finally, he even says this. He says, Saul, when you tell the people, can you tell them good things about me? That's, that's how he ends. He's hoping that someone will remember the good in his life. I, it took me back to a story. I don't know if I've told you this, but years ago, I was doing a, a guy had cancer and he was dying. And it's always really sad and heavy. And I went to his house to help him plan his funeral. And he had a file. This guy had a file with kind of a speech that he wanted me to give about his life and his work life and the eulogy and his kids and everything he had done. Great man. He was all these cool things that he had done with his family. So I, I sit down with his family after he passed away and I opened this folder and I started reading through it. And they're all sitting there like, what are you talking about? I said, well, isn't this, isn't this your grandpa, your dad? And they're going, one of the grandsons said, he was nothing like that. As a matter of fact, he, he was stingy, selfish, he was mean to me. He was all the, it was nothing like he, he had said. And I just, I didn't know, I, I had to rewrite the funeral. Uh, <laughs> let me just keep it simple. If you want to be remembered for being a godly person, then be a godly person. Period. Oh, but please say this, please. It's not your image that we care about, it's your heart. It's the truth about who you are. And it was revealed in Saul. Okay, what can we learn from David? Number three, he also ruled for 40 years. 
There are four traits that I think help define him. There are many more than this, but I'm just going to give you four. Number one, David was sensitive. You know, when you say King David, it sort of melts everyone's heart because he had this amazing way of, of, of kind of winning you over and all of his writings and all the stuff that he did. It goes all the way back to the beginning where he's Jesse's son and Samuel the prophet comes to Jesse's house and says, God said one of your sons is going to be the next appointed king. And so Jesse's like, come on, boys, get out here. So they all line up and Samuel's like going down the list and, and Samuel's confused. And he says, do you have any other sons? Because I don't feel it. Well, David, he's the kid in the field with the sheep. I'm sure he's not the guy. That's where he started. That was literally the attitude of his own father toward him. And go, somebody go get David. They go get David, bring him back. And, and Samuel goes, this is the guy. I mean, his brothers pass out. They, not really. That's not biblical. That's just my. His brothers can't. David, are you serious? Yeah, David is anointed king right there. And you go, how could this happen? It's, it's a place of sensitivity. And then Saul was so insecure and so enraged by David and the people's love over David that he tried to kill him multiple times. He chased him. He went on. It was his passion in life was to kill David. Two times David had a perfect opportunity to kill Saul. And I think rightly so. And he could have done it. But he wouldn't. Why? His sensitivity. He answers the question. He says, I'm not going to kill anybody that God's anointed. I just, that's just not my place. And he just let time work itself out. Man, that's a learning point for me today. Sometimes I just need to let God handle the big lifting. Because if you pull out your sword and charge and whack everybody down on your way, you may get there, but you may regret it. And that matters, and it's very important. Number two, David was a warrior. Well, how, how can you be sensitive and be a warrior? I don't know, but that's what makes him an amazing king is his sensitivity and his warrior. Even as a young shepherd, he kills a lion protecting the sheep. He kills a bear. Remember the story when he runs out, faces Goliath? He's still a kid, you guys. And, and the armies of Israel are scared to death of this Philistine. And David shows up and says, I'll go fight this Philistine. Who does he think he is? He, he can't come against the, the great army of Israel, the great Lord of hosts that we represent. I'll go fight him. And Saul tries to put his armor on David. Remember, it's a great story. David has a slingshot. He says, no, I'm good. <laughs> he runs out to meet Goliath. I love that part of the story. He runs out and kills him, cuts off his head, and a great victory. And Man, everyone's cheering now for David. He is a great warrior. Number three, he's an artist. Come on, how can you be an artist and a warrior? He wrote about 70 of the Psalms that we have poet. He was a musician. All you musicians, just hang on for a second. Because I know you get a bad rap sometimes, you know. All your emotion and your feelings. And people say, well, you know, they're a musician. <laughs> There's a lot of emotion there. David had a lot of emotion. He, matter of fact, he played for Saul sometimes to settle him down and to comfort him. How can you be a warrior and sensitive and, and an artist, but he was. But, man, the fourth thing is the sad part. David tried to outsmart God. I think he knew he couldn't, but there's something in human nature that when we lose our dependence on God, we just think we can trick him. And it's a terrible story. 
It's in 2 Samuel 11 that this starts, and this isn't up there, but if you want to make reference and read it, it says something like this. When kings go off to war, David stayed home. Uh-oh. He's losing a pattern of health. And this is a big takeaway today. A pattern of health is more important than one day of health. And when David was supposed to be on the field, he stayed home and ended up going out on the terrace in his kingdom and looking down and seeing a naked woman named Bathsheba. Now I'm going to read, I'm going to read one sentence because this sentence has thousands of lives at risk. He was on the rooftop and he sees Bathsheba bathing and he calls for her and sleeps with her and gets her pregnant. By the way, she's married to Uriah. Uriah is a soldier and he's out on the field fighting for David. Pretty sick, isn't it? You can't make this stuff up. So David gets her pregnant and realizes, oh no, her husband isn't here, so he's going to know it's not his child. i got to bring him back. So he does. He calls for Uriah to come from the battlefield, come back to the house so that he, he will sleep with his wife, Bathsheba. But here's the problem. Uriah said to Bathsheba, I could never have that pleasure while my comrades are out fighting for their life. I'm loyal. Oh, David's like, what? Who does that? Right? Who does that? Thank God for people with, with balance and standards. And Uriah ends up going back to the battlefield. David's like, plan B. So he, he sends to Joab, the leader of the army, says, get Uriah on the front line. And Uriah is killed. This is the king that has loved God, loved Israel, served, and, and God has done miracles for. And now he thinks he's all good. It's all hidden. Uriah's dead. Bathsheba is the only one that knows. It's all okay. I'm fine. Listen, I don't care how encrypted your file is, if there's evil in there. Well, I'm embezzling. No one will ever know. Well, what I look at is my business. No, it's God's business. Your mind, your heart, your body, it's God's business. I don't know how to say it more clearly. We live in a world where it says, I have no rails, I have no boundaries. That's a lie. David's going to feel it. Big time. Big mistake. The, the prophet Nathan comes. If you know this story, he confronts David. David finally goes, oh, what have I done? And he repents, which is awesome because that's the only thing you can do with sin is repent and stop it. And that's what David does. But, I mean, honestly, it, it takes his kids, it takes his life, and his rule as an effective leader is over. Absalom, his own son's trying to kill him. And then finally, Solomon, his son, becomes king. Number four, what can we learn from Solomon? He also ruled for 40 years, and it's the most peaceful time in the history of Israel. You know, David fought all the battles, and now Solomon gets the fruit of everyone fearing Israel. Man, everyone wanted to be an ally with Israel. That's part of what happened to Solomon. That's his problem, which we'll see in a minute. And so there's four words that define Solomon. The first one is wisdom. By the way, they all start with W, so it's going to be real easy, and I think you'll probably guess a few of them. Wisdom. In a dream, God comes to Solomon and says, 
I, I, you have so much favor in my eyes that I'm going to give you any wish that you want, anything you wish for. <laughs> Can you imagine this? I mean, I don't know why he didn't ask for five more wishes because that's really what you should ask for. <laughs> it's the only time in the Bible this happens. And Solomon thinks about it and he says, I wish for wisdom. Oh, and God's like, that's the best thing. Because you asked for wisdom and not wealth, I'm going to give you all the wealth you could ever have. So wealth is the second word I want you to write down there. Wisdom, wealth. Matter of fact, he was so wealthy. We, can't, we don't even have a comparison. We look at, we look at our, our wealthy people in our world, and you, you think in terms of $100 billion, $130 billion, I don't know what the latest with the stock market, who knows. Um, but what the latest is, if you, if you just rally what his gold take was in the value of today, he was worth $2.2 trillion. So a few hundred billion is like a dime to this guy. So just, just, just think, I can't even fathom that. The third W is writing. Writing. This guy was a writer. He wrote many of the Proverbs that you read. You know, do this because this is the wise choice. Life is good if you do this. Listen to these people because. So these Proverbs come out of a guy who has a lot of experience, big time of peace. The only thing he really did was he taxed the people heavily because he was building the temple. So there was a lot of tax that the people played, but he did. He built an amazing city and an amazing temple. What was the fourth W? Anyone know? Women. <laughs> Absolutely women. There is no doubt about this. Now I'm going to say this, and I hope you'll, you'll hear me. It, it's kind of like Solomon, it's not just that he has a big sex drive, honestly. There's some political reasons that he ends up doing what he does, and it destroys him. And he, he went against everything God wanted him to do. So make no mistake about it, God has never allowed polygamy, ever. People who say that, well, there was polygamy, they don't get it. This is, please hear this. This was political. Let me just give you the passage that, that kind of helps you understand, and it frames this. 1 Kings 11, just jot it down in your notes, read the whole story later. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and all among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives. of royal birth, and 300 concubines. In fact, they did turn his heart away from God. Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians. Moloch, who was a terrible, oh, just research him out, detestable God that the Ammonites sacrificed to. See, this was never the plan of God. But every kingdom around Israel kept saying, Solomon, we want to have an ally. Here's my daughter. Here's, here's one of my girls. Here's someone from a royal court. Would you marry her so we can have allies and we can be friends and we won't go to battle. We're afraid of you. So let's seal the deal by doing this. Everyone kept doing that with Solomon. And he kept letting it happen. Big, big mistake. Man, I think of these idols that got into his life, and I just have to ask you the question. You know, you probably don't have a shrine sitting on your dashboard in your car or 
in your house that you worship every morning or whatever. Our idols in America and our culture are very different than this. But we do have idols. And we sometimes worship time, money, things. Materialism is a huge thing. Or value. Where do you get your value from? How many likes on Instagram do you need? What, what do you go for? What is it that, that's pushing you to somehow fall into this trap of feeling secure and whole in your life other than your relationship with God? Okay, I got to go. What can we do about Rehoboam? Fourth or fifth in your notes. What can we learn from Rehoboam? There's two simple things real fast. Number one, he was self-centered. Very self-centered. Here's the reference. I'm not going to read it, but it's on the, it won't be on the screen. 1 Kings 12. Okay, just jot that down. Read this whole story. It's, a, it's an amazing story. Solomon had been taxing the people, as I mentioned earlier. Well, the people came to Rehoboam. By the way, Rehoboam was Solomon's son, all right? And he only ruled for like 17 years, but that's total. I'll tell you what happened. So they camp, they say, Rehoboam, your dad taxed us forever. And it was to build temples and cities, and we get it, but that's all done now. Can you relieve us of this burden? So he calls an advisor by the name of Jeroboam. Now, I know it gets confusing. you got Rehoboam and Jeroboam, okay? But Jeroboam was probably Solomon's greatest advisor. He was well-respected in Israel. Solomon called on him all the time. So I think it's cool that Rehoboam calls for the advisor of his father and says, tell me what you think. Should we stop taxing the people? Jeroboam says, yeah, you should. It's kind of like the old guy's crowd. Jeroboam and all of the advisors from Solomon say, it's enough. The people have had enough. Well, Rehoboam doesn't like that. So King Rehoboam gets his peers around him and says, what do you guys think about all this? And they started telling him what he wanted to hear. <laughs> what do they, who do they think they are asking you, the king, to stop their taxes? If it was me, I would say, tax them more. Matter of fact, there's one passage that just makes me laugh. It says, tell them that your little finger is bigger than their wrist. In other words, you have all the power. And that's exactly what Rehoboam does. It frustrates Jeroboam so much that Jeroboam revolts and takes ten tribes and goes to the north. And now is the first time in history that you will hear things like the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. That's where it happened, and that's why it happened. And um, there were only a couple of tribes that stayed. Judah and Benjamin stayed with Rehoboam, and all the other ten went with Jeroboam to the north. Number two, he lost his kingdom. This was over for him. He died uh, while he was still reigning, but it was only 17 years. You know, as I look at all of these four kings, I have to say none of them finished well. And what are some takeaways for us today? What about the promise that God made to David years ago? The promise in 2 Samuel 7 that said, Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. Did God forget his promise? Because we got a long ways to go, you guys. We've got, we've got now about 900 years from the end of what I just said and what, 40 more kings along the way in both kingdoms to get all the way to Jesus. There, there's a thousand years here. But I want to show you something that's really, really powerful. God doesn't forget his promise. You're not used to hearing this read in March. You're used to hearing it in December. 
Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to a man named Joseph. Say it with me. A descendant of King David. God has this in his mind. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary. The angel told her, For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his, say it with me, ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. God never forgets his promise. I don't care how much time goes by. I don't care if it's way beyond your lifetime. The biggest takeaway you can know today is this. The story of God is a story of a faithful God who pursues unfaithful people. Every one of us have been unfaithful. (laughs) Hey, welcome to the club. We're all in this together. Don't get down on the kings. Just be thankful for the Father. You can be cleansed and forgiven and your sin can be blotted out and you can live as white as snow and you can live without the blanket of shame on your life because of what Jesus did and because of the promise of God and he never forgets it. Would you pray with me? Lord, this is really humbling. This is really touching because you're a God who could just blast us away but you love us, you pursue us, you chase us down. We come to moments like this with gratitude in our hearts and we thank you. With heads bowed in this room, would you just, I don't even want you to raise your hand to this, but I'm I'm just gonna say it. If you know you have messed up big time and you're living in the guilt and the shame of a hidden something like David did for a long time and today's your day, to say, God, I gotta own this. I'm sorry. I need to repent of this and stop it. And I need your help, but I need to know that I can live forgiven and I can look at you someday when I stand before you. Listen, God knows every detail of your life. That shouldn't bring you fear, it should bring you joy because He's the God who can cleanse you. So give it to Him right now. Lord, that's me. I give it to you. I trust you to cleanse my heart. And show me, Lord, how to remove idols from my life, idols that are in my culture. Show me where I can get my security, where I can get the things that I need to feel good about who I am with you, not this world. And teach us to put others before ourselves. Unlike these kings and unlike our human nature, may we love others. May we humble ourselves before you. In Jesus' name, amen.